The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, will you pause and pray with me? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that we're not left to navigate this life alone, that you have chosen to draw near to us. And God, we're reminded in this beautiful song that you come to us not only as Father, you come to us as the Son who came to live a perfect life, a flawless life, to die for us, to teach us how to live, to give us the words that we'll study from Scripture even today. And Lord, that you sent your Spirit to dwell within us so that when we come to the place that many of us are at even now where we don't know what the next step is, we don't know what our next move is, we trust that you dwell in us, that you speak to us, that you guide us, that we don't have to be the ones that have it figured out. And so we pray, Lord, that as we walk this path together, that we would trust you, that we'd listen to you, that we would hear you. And we pray particularly for the message that you offer to us today. We pray all of this together as a family, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you, Ecclesia, 11 o'clock. It is a gift to be together, and it's a gift that you continually push through the challenge, depending on which side of Piney Point you live on, to find a way to get here. And uh, we don't know how much longer we're going to put up with this, but apparently it's not going to quite be the streets of gold, but it'll at least be, apparently they're going to be beautiful, like really well done, no potholes at all. And uh, we'll find out, but eventually it will be done. And thanks for your patience. Um, I'm blessed that I get to teach you back-to-back weeks. Um, That doesn't always happen in our schedule and life, so it's a blessing for me to sit back on the same stool. Uh, and get to share with you. And I'm going to do my best. Last week, I get a bit fired up when I do uh, the kind of spiel about who Ecclesia is and Open Door. I hope some of you were blessed by that and had some clarity about, oh, that's who we are as a church. That's what we're about. Uh, but I tend to go a little bit longer than I intend because I get fired up. So I'm going to do my best today uh, to give you back a few minutes that I took from you last week if you were uh, we're here. No promises, uh, but it helps that this week was going to be a beautiful uh, study week for me. Usually my study day is Friday, and I have a daughter who's at Baylor, and she's moving houses, right? So she needs dad to come move her. So Friday was spent moving, and uh, Saturday was going to be my study day. Everybody was leaving the house, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, it's a miracle from God, my 15-year-old decided like he wanted to just spend time with me all day. And uh, if you're a pastor or a father of a 15-year-old son, you know that's a miracle in and of itself. And uh, my counselor, Dan Allender, always says, choose relationship over all else. So when you've got a choice, choose relationship. Uh, So normally I study for hours. This is like minutes um, that came into this sermon. But hopefully um, it's one of those that has such clarity and passion that I'm hoping it will uh, land well on you and that God will use it uh, for you. We're going to change our tune a bit this summer and do something literally. I've been a pastor for 26 years and uh, something I've never done. Uh, We are going to teach through uh, this summer uh, some important lessons that come to us through some popular films, some films that we love. And we haven't decided all of them, so if you've got a film you're really fired up up about, uh, I'd love for you to uh, share it with us. Today, we're going to hit one of my all-time favorites. I think it's a family classic. I think it's brilliant beyond words. Uh, The director is a guy named Rob Ryan who created this thing and pulled it off. How many of you know what film I'm talking about? 
a great film called The Princess Bride. How many of you are fans of The Princess Bride, right? So fabulous film. I'm curious today, I've got a prize for the one that has uh, watched it the most. So try to calculate in your mind how many times you think you've seen The Princess Bride. Uh, how many of you are more than five times you've seen The Princess Bride? More than 10? More than 15? More than 20? More than 25? More than 30? 25, 26, 27? What do you, oh, more than 30 is right back here. So you're going to get a book. So, in fact, would you deliver that for me? Um, it's, uh, it's a book about some of the great stories that happened when they made The Princess Bride. So you are the ultimate Princess Bride fan today. So congratulations. So um, there's a lot we could pick up on this. And uh, before we, I lean in on the particular theme that we're going to look at in the film, uh, I thought I'd just share with you uh, a very short uh, version of some of my all-time favorite scenes from The Princess Bride. I'm a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Skip to the end. Have you the win? I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. You're that smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. Inconceivable. As you wish. Inconceivable. As you wish. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You can die too for all I care. Oh. As you wish. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello in there. Hey. What's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. To the death. No. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain. And I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. 
You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die! No! So if you know this film well, you know there are a lot of themes we can pick up on. At first, I thought my favorite theme that would be helpful, at least for me, uh, would be to talk about what I love about the film is that it mocks all uh, romance films of all times. So if you've seen films like The Notebook, right, um, some of you love them. I, my guess is most men do not love these films, in part because it sets a standard by which none of us could ever attain, right? Um, so these men sit around and make picnics for women. Uh, they're unbelievably wealthy, though they don't seem to have a job. They've got time to like snuggle all day. Um, and yet they have perfect abs, which means like they would have to spend all day at the gym, and yet they don't, right? And so just generally, the whole genre makes us look bad. Um, the only way for us to really succeed in our relationships truly is if you would lower your expectations, not increase them. And so these films don't serve us well, but that's probably not a great... Um, sermon, right? There's probably a good sermon about privilege and power, I think especially when you think about the popularity of royal weddings uh, recently. And uh, there is a pointed humor to this film that is beautiful, right? When the prince is named Humperdinck, it kind of says, uh, says it all uh, at the beginning. I would also love to talk to you at some point about the sacredness of humor. I think there is, it is a divine thing to laugh, right? I mean, it is um, some Christians are way too freaking serious, right? And they're just, there's some things that just feel better if you just take time to laugh and to enjoy, and uh, it's a gift. And a film like this is one that I have laughed at over and over and over. Um, but the theme that rose to the surface for me is the most dominant and popular story, uh, I think, for me in this film, and it's the one of revenge, right? I find myself after watching this film uh, saying those lines over and over. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And there's something about this character and his drivenness to experience revenge that every one of us can relate to. And so it's, uh, it's really helpful to hear the actor of that char character, Mandy Pink, uh, uh, Patinkin, his name's hard to say, Mandy Patinkin, um, talks about that particular line and his favorite line in the movie, and, uh, and this will lead us in the direction that I want us to look and examine in the scriptures today. Well, there are two lines from The Princess Bride that I love. The one that everyone is very familiar with is, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's the popular one. But I heard another line from the movie about five, six years ago. I was in the gym working out, running through my lines, my songs for a concert. The, the TV was on, the movie was on the TV, but the sound was off because I was running my stuff. And I went up to my hotel room to have my dinner before I went to the theater. My wife was there and she had the movie on. It was at the end of the movie, right? When Buttercup falls out the window into Andre's arms and Robin falls into Andre's arms, the man in black Carrie is sitting there asking me to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. And 
and, and that 30-year-old Mandy and the 55, 58-year-old Mandy's watching this, watching the 30-some-year-old Mandy say a line that I said, it's in the movie, but I didn't really hear it as that young man. And for me, it's the most potent line in the whole film. And that line is, I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. And I love that line, and I love it for all of us, because the purpose of revenge, in my personal opinion, is completely worthless and pointless. And, and the purpose of existence is to embrace our fellow human being, not be revengeful, and um, turn our darkness into light. And so that's the line I love from the movie. So that's the line I thought would preach, right? I've been in the revenge business so long, now that it's over, I don't know what to do with my life. And the reality is, um, well, if you're like me, and my, my gut is you are, you may not talk about it, but there are a few people that have harmed you, for some of us maybe more than a few, people that have really become our enemies. And for most of us, we have, um, maybe we don't um, fixate on them, or maybe we do, but somewhere in our psyche, we have these revenge fantasies that play out, right? Um, they may be the dominant fantasies. We just think, if I could get those people back, if I could get him back or her back, for me, it, uh, I don't tell this story very often, but um, I don't think any of you will figure out who this guy is, so I'm going to tell you. Um, I was 23 years old, and I um, I'd pastored these rural churches, um, which was a great place to learn how to preach, right? These uh, people in these farm communities, and, and uh, they would just tolerate bad preaching until I figured it out. And, um, and then at 23, I did what most 23-year-olds did. Uh, I took my American Express, and I went and started a church. Um, and uh, it seemed like a great idea. And I, but I thought, the truth was, like, I thought I'd have, like, 20 or 30 or 40 people. And uh, within three months, the church had over 600 people, and it was clear I didn't know what I was doing. But I thought everybody would be excited. Like, these were a lot of people coming to church that weren't going to church before. Um, but I became aware about three months into the church, somebody came by and brought me a newsletter that a local pastor had written. Back then, they used to have newsletters that actually went in the mail to people at the church. And uh, he had written his whole, like, column and it was about me. This is a guy I'd never met. And he basically just said I was a jerk, and our church was a joke, and they should tell anybody that knew, that knew me that was going to the church, like not to go to church there. And, uh, and I thought, well, this must be like a misunderstanding. Like, I don't even know this guy. I've never met this guy. So I just picked up the phone, and I called him. And he was a, you know, pastor in his 40s. He had stature, and I was a 23-year-old kid. And he got me on the phone, and he said, son, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think you'll ever be very good at this. And he said, I got a pretty good way about myself. I usually can judge character pretty well. And this is the words he said to me. He said, let me tell you, I don't think you'll ever amount to, and then he used an expletive, right? And he just thought he had this stature and power, and somehow apparently I threatened him in some way, uh, just who I was or what we were doing. And he thought, I've got the chance to crush him, and I'm going to crush him. I mean, his words were cruel. Still to this day, like I talk about him right now, and uh, I, I'm going to preach to you about forgiveness, and there's a part of me that still can play into, like, later on in life, 
the power kind of shifted, right? And I'd find myself in forums where this guy would be present, and I was the, the special guest. I was the um, main stage speaker, right? And I had a number of places, right? When I wrote one of what I thought was one of my best books, like part of me wanted to just write a little note to him about how I didn't amount to, and just, you know, send it to him anonymously in the mail or... I had a bunch of them, right? More than I can tell you. I got these little revenge fantasies that you kind of want to play out, you know? And they all, in the flesh, they all feel really good, But the reality is, like, that way of life, this life of revenge and retaliation, it never ends. It never ends. If you've ever been to a baseball game, right, where one batter gets hit, right, and what happens? Then it's payback. Next guy's got to get hit. And then they got to pay back for that guy. Anybody been to one of those games that's just come totally unglued and everybody clears the benches? And it starts with one thing, but nobody can let it go. And everybody's got to pay it back, pay it back, pay it back, pay it back. My favorite place to be in the world, I'll tell you really clearly, as much as I love Houston, Texas, my favorite place to be in the world is in the Middle East. I, I love to be almost anywhere in the Middle East. I especially love to be in the Holy Land. I've taken some of you there. Some of you hopefully are going to go with me uh, this year. We still have some spots. We're going in July. And I love the food. I love the people. Most of what you read about the people is not true at all, the people. In fact, what I tell you is the kindest, most hospitable people on the planet. If I'm in Palestine and I say to someone, you know what? I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. You know what's going to happen? A ton of people are going to be walking up to me going, stay with me, stay with me, come stay with me. And they would bring me into their home and feed me the best food they have. I could walk around Houston, Texas and keep saying, I don't really know where I'm going to stay tonight. And most of you would go, I'm going to pray you find a good place to stay. (laughs) Good luck, right? Have you heard of Priceline? You could book something there. Right? And I just find they're totally different people. But I'll tell you what drives me crazy in the Middle East, what drives me crazy is this ethic that they believe is this biblically rooted ethic. And it's just this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You take from me, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to retaliate, retaliate, retaliate. And every time I'm there, in part because I'm a Christian pastor and I'm kind of totally sold on Jesus, but also the teachings of Jesus. Every time I'm there, it's clear to me as anything in the world that the only solution in the Middle East are the teachings of Jesus Christ. They're the only things that will change. It has to come to this place that the teachings that we're going to look at in just a few minutes will actually change things. So whether you're in a fight with your neighbor or a family member and you're caught in that trap that says, I got to pay it back, I got to tell you today, if you're a Christian, it's not the way of Jesus. So here's where it's going to get hard, both for you and for me. Before we look at this text, what I'd like to invite you to do is to join with me, and I don't want this to be this um, ambiguous teaching, right? The truth is, no matter who you are, you've got an enemy. You got somebody that you would like them not to do well. You'd like some payback to happen for them. And what we're going to do before we open this text, we're just going to pause, and we're going to pray for them. What I want you to do is, you don't have to speak their name aloud, especially they might be in the room. We don't know for sure. But I'd like you to articulate to yourself their name. I'd like you to see their face. And we're going to pray for God's blessing upon them. We're going to pray that forgiveness would reign and that the teachings of Christ would play out in our lives today in a way that really could change the world, that could start with us. 
So whoever that is, if you say you don't have somebody, I'm just going to tell you, you're lying, okay? You got somebody. There is someone that will come to mind. So as we pray, will you bring them to mind? Let's pray for them. God, we thank you for your love. Lord, we're reminded that you tell us that we were once your enemies. We once were against your agenda in the world. And you made us sons and daughters. And so, Lord, for that enemy, whether they're in our family, whether we grew up with them, whether it was a bully when we were young or a competitor in business, or someone that had the opportunity to be kind and instead they were cruel. Lord, we pray that you would repay them with kindness and blessings. We pray today that good things will happen to them and to those that love them, that their family would be blessed, that they would know your love and your grace, and that you would bless us with the kind of love and forgiveness that can only come through Christ, that we could see the ways that we are flawed, the way that our ego has led us to make bad choices and bad decisions and treat others poorly, and that we'd show them grace, we'd let them go. We pray all of this together. We pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. As we open this beautiful and profound text, um, would you just keep that person or people in mind? Some of you were like, I had to really choose. It was hard. I got a top six. Um, it's like FBI's most wanted. Like, we all kind of have this. That's, this my, I just don't want these people to do well. They don't deserve it, right? And we don't either. So I'm asking you to just keep them in the back of your mind or the front of your minds as we hear this beautiful teaching, right? And Jesus begins to say things that are hard for us to imagine, right? He talks about uh, turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and loving, loving our enemies. This was profound and radical teaching. And it comes in the context of the greatest sermon ever preached, a sermon that Jesus preached there in the Middle East, on the, the lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, on a small mountain. It's one of my favorite things we do when we go there. We have the best meal I may have all year at a little restaurant called Roshpina, and they smoke all the meat and fish and pasta. And we make our way to this mountain that Jesus originally preached this sermon and hear it. And it's beautiful to hear it all in one setting. But each one of these little passages, you could spend your life studying. And I want to suggest to you today, you could spend your entire life studying and trying to live out this truth. And this is what Jesus says. You know that the Hebrew Scripture sets the standard of justice and punishment. He says it's really clear. This is what the Bible says. Take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says that's what the Hebrew Scriptures say. But I, Jesus says, I say this, don't fight against the one who is working evil against you. Literally in the Greek, what it means is retaliate. So he said, the one that is actively gossiping against you, about you, you do not gossip in return. The one that is attacking you right now on social media, right, and is an all-out affront and attack to you, you do not attack in response. He says, when you do, this is what happens. You end up in an endless cycle. Can you imagine in our world if we began to live out this ethic of Jesus? 
It's really clear, isn't it? Those who attack do not attack back. Those who insult do not insult back. Those who gossip don't gossip in return. Right? This is the Christian way. Jesus says, right, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, you're to turn and offer him your left cheek. If someone connives to get your shirt, give him your jacket as well. He's, what he's saying here is there would have been two layers of clothing, clothing typically in Jesus' day, a tunic and then an outer robe. The outer robe would be uh, your blanket at night. It would be what you wear off, and the tunic would be you might have multiple of those. He says, if somebody's trying to take it, then go the extra mile. Get, if you need to settle a debt, whatever it is you need to do, go the extra. He says, if someone forces you to walk with him for a mile, a Roman soldier in this day could come to someone and say, I want you to carry my things for one mile. Legally, one mile was all they could force you to do. It was an injustice. It was an abuse. You can imagine today, right? If law enforcement stopped you and just said, you're to do this for me, right? Randomly. We'd have all kinds of attitude. We wouldn't want to do it. Jesus says, don't just do the mile. Go two miles. Go further than you have to go to demonstrate the way I want you to live. He says, if someone asks you to do something, asks you for something, give it to him. Now, this is a challenging one here. Paul echoes this in the New Testament. He says, if it's within your capacity, if it's in, within your power to do something good for someone, then you ought to do it. Now, I'm telling you, um, that's true across the globe, and we believe at Ecclesia that anyone that has an opportunity to receive clean water that's drinking from a river or a stream ought to drink from a, uh, a source of clean water, right? We believe post-storm in Houston, Texas, that those that are still suffering ought to receive what we can offer to them. And for us, for me particularly, I don't have everything within my capacity, but because I'm a part of all of you, that we're a part of one another, when I meet someone with a need, the reality is, we together have the capacity to meet that need. Last week, I got in a, an Uber uh, with a guy named Stephen. And uh, pray for Stephen. Stephen's a Vietnamese guy here in Houston. And, uh, and as we got to talk, I just asked him about my, his favorite place to get pho, because I love pho. And he said, well, it would have been my restaurant. He said, I'm the greatest chef, uh, pho chef in the world, which I thought that's a pretty great claim. Um, I don't know if there was a language barrier, a little bit of exaggeration, but he was saying, like, I'm really good. And uh, as I got to know him and found out that he, uh, he lived in Richmond and his house flooded and his Vietnamese restaurant flooded that he owned and he lost both his cars, right? So he's in this place now. He's like, all we got, we live in an apartment and we got one car. I drive my wife to work, then I drive Uber while she's gone because I've lost my business, lost my house, lost my car. And I began to realize, like, Stephen's not the only one. Like, there are... There are thousands and thousands of Houstonians that are still trying to make their families work that had multiple vehicles that don't have multiple vehicles that had one vehicle that don't have a vehicle and I just thought like we're the kind of church we could buy 50 cars if we wanted to buy cars for people you know and uh, we're going to figure out how to buy Stephen a car and a bunch of people a car why because we can because it'll help people because people actually have a need and so we're going to be the kind of people that do that. And Jesus says, well, that seems extravagant. He's not our responsibility. And Jesus' teaching is, no, if, you're, if it's within your capacity, you ought to just do it. You shouldn't even think about it or pray about it. You ought to just do it. If it's within your capacity, do it. Jesus keeps going. He says, you've been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you this, love your enemies. Now, this is so radical, right? He didn't say tolerate them. He didn't say ignore them. That's hard enough to do, right? To tolerate or ignore. Anybody have trouble doing that? Tolerate? Am I the only one? Just me. Okay, good. <laughs> Two of us. Jesus says, no, not just tolerate it. Not just ignore. Love. Love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you and persecute you. And in doing so, you become children of your Father in heaven. He, after all, loves each of us. This is powerful and true. Good and evil, kind and cruel. Whether you've been cruel, we've all been cruel, we've all been unkind. He says, God loves good and evil, kind and cruel. He causes the sun to rise on evil and good alike. He causes the rain to water the fields of the righteous and the fields of the sinner. It's easy to love those who love you, even a tax collector. This is an oppressive person, a selfish person. Today, we don't have tax collectors in the same way. Just because you work for the IRS doesn't make you... Um, Right, so this would be people that exploit other people. This would be like the people that own the check cashing places that exploit the poor. He says, even those who were selfish and narcissistic, even those people, right, can love those who love them. And it's easy to greet your friends. Even outsiders do that, but you are called to something higher. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, this is one of the more confusing passages in Scripture. Hear this. When we were translating the voice, I uh, pushed to translate it slightly different way. It doesn't mean to be perfect in every way as your Father in heaven is perfect. None of you can do that. Trust me, I know many of you. You're not even close. You're not in the ballpark of perfect, right? What it's saying, it's specifically about this love. It's let your love be perfect. Let your love be flawless. He's saying it's not really love if you only love the people that love you. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's, like, it's not really love if you tally wrongs, right? Whether it's your spouse or your neighbor or a family member, if you've got that list, right, and most of us don't write it down, but it's sitting somewhere in the recesses of our mind, and we got a list, and you got tallies, you got marks. We try not to pull it up, but it's there. Jesus says, well, that's not really love. Let your love be perfect. Let your love be unconditional. If you're old enough to be a Seinfeld fan, um, then maybe you remember one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld. Um, in this episode, George Costanza uh, is in a meeting. Uh, anybody remember this? He's in a meeting, and one of his coworkers lays a massive insult on him in this meeting. And, uh, and George ends up with everybody in the room laughing at him. Anybody remember this one? And, um, and so George, basically, uh, he's not that quick, right? So he, uh, he, about three days later, he figures out the perfect insult response to this guy, which feels a little late, right? But George is determined to deliver it, right? So he starts working to set up a meeting where he could get in the room with this guy and flip it on him. And yet this guy resigns, ends up taking a job in Ohio, and George loses this opportunity to deliver retaliation and insult. So he goes to extreme measures to set up a meeting with this guy's new company and his new coworkers. So he goes to Ohio all for, on the purpose of this route so they can deliver this insult. Remember this episode? And he finally lands the insult. And this guy was quicker with a better insult. And again, everyone's laughing at George, right? <laughs> And you get the sense of the futility of this retaliation lifestyle, right? That if you live with that obsession, it will destroy you, right? Proverbs 12 says it this way. 
the wise one says, a fool's anger is quickly evident, but a clever person knows how to hide his flaws. This is what I think the, the, the wise one is saying here, that when we respond in anger, all of our ugliness gets exposed, right? And it's easy to do. This is the reality of what Jesus is saying, the impulse, and it's just impulsive in our day. And there's examples all around us, prominent figures everywhere, and it's just, insult me, I'll insult you back. Boom, boom, and it's just impulsive. And Jesus is saying, don't follow your impulse. There's a better way. And what happens when we return anger with anger, spite with spite, gossip with gossip, all of our ugliness gets exposed. So he says, better, right, to hold our tongue. First Peter 3 says it this way. This will take us to communion. He says, finally, all of you like-minded, be like-minded and show sympathy, love, compassion, and humility to and for each other, not paying back evil with evil or insult with insult, but repaying the bad with a blessing. Now think about that. Someone that's done harm to you, what would it look like to repay with a blessing? It was this you were called to do, so that you might inherit a blessing. That's what I want to offer you before we come to communion. What if that person, that enemy, that person that's done you harm, that you just despise for whatever reason, and you probably got really good reasons. I think I do. What if anonymously this week, you found a way to be a blessing to them? Like totally anonymously. If it wasn't anonymous, it might feel like a turn of the dagger, right? But just a gift card showed up in the mail from nowhere. A kind note, some kind of blessing. I love the pizza bomb people that annoy me. Just send them a pizza. Who couldn't? Just delivered from someplace. We got a friend. My buddy Ross is in the last service. We got a friend who's struggled and he just won't respond to text messages, so we just kept sending him pizzas. We just kept sending them to him. Until he finally had to say, like, I'm getting fat, stop, right? We need to say, like, hey, listen, I, I, I don't know why you're not responding to me, but I love you. So I don't know what that would look like for you. But I ask you to consider it. I'm not asking you. Right? The Apostle Peter did. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, what if instead of returning wrong with wrong, you offered a blessing instead? As we come to the table of the one that knew well what he was teaching, right? So it's really great. I've been in Christian ethics classes, and you can hypothetically talk about Christian ethics and what it looks like to be ethical as a Christian. Jesus' teaching was not hypothetical for him. He took torment, he took violence, he took torture, and he could have responded in return. He had all the power. And yet he didn't. He received it. He took it in. He returned it with love. He's been the example for us. My prayer is that we can try to follow his way. I'm not saying it's the easy way, but I think it's the right way. My prayer is that it would happen in the Middle East. I think it's the only way to end the cycle of violence there. And I think most of the problems we have in our culture would be healed if people of faith would say, we're going to be the people that return evil with love. Will you pray with me as we um, prepare our hearts to come to the table? God, we thank you that this memorial table
is this physical reminder of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to live the Christian life, that we are going to be harmed, that life will not always be easy, that we won't always get what we want. In fact, some will take, some will steal, some will gossip, some will insult, some will hurt and even assault. And God, we trust in this world that there is some form of justice. We ultimately trust that you will bring justice, but we believe that we're not the people that are intended to hold anger and angst and retaliation in our heart, that it actually does us harm. And so as we come to this table, we pray that we could follow your example. We ask you today, Lord, to bless this bread. We pray that it would be a physical reminder to each of us that the very one who taught this ethic, who lived out this ethic, broke the bread with his disciples and told them, this is my body and it's broken for you. Lord, we believe that your body was broken so that we might follow your path. God, we thank you today for this cup, for this wine and juice that says to each and every one of us that forgiveness is real, that it comes to us, and that if you've forgiven us, you remind us, then who are we not to forgive our brother or sister? And so, Lord, give us the grace we need to forgive, to relinquish, to let go, and help us to live in the light of that love. We pray this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.